Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Thanks again for coming, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle Vinsek. And Pastor Terry asked me to facilitate uh, again for him. There's a team out uh, doing some ministry in Virginia, uh, including many of the pastors, and um, they're doing like a, a sort of an outreach, uh, the Breaking Free um, teaching, Pastor Tom is. So, um, so our prayers are with them for the successful ministry. We're going to be actually covering two sessions of the John Bevere series tonight, just like we did last week. Uh, we're going to do session nine and session ten. Session nine is unfair treatment. Session 10 is self-inflicted judgment. Um, so it has been really deep, really good. Um, each video is about 30 minutes, um, but I mean, it goes by like you don't even realize because um, it's just so meaty and so good. Um, I've definitely benefited personally a lot from it. Um, just to kind of start us off, um, if anybody wants to chime in and say anything about what they've learned so far um, or about these topics that we're going to be covering, I got the other mic here. Feel free to uh, to say a little bit. Um, we've got just a few minutes. Um, so the first session that we're going to cover, session nine, unfair treatment. Um, in the book, um, Jambavir starts off um, with a very... Um, interesting uh, sort of point he makes about brokenness um, and intimacy with God uh, or, or our ability to sense his presence and our oneness with him. And he just emphasizes uh, from Psalm 51, um, verses 16 and 17. Uh, it's page 160 in the book. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. This is a Psalm of David. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And then from Psalm 34, 18, he lists the verse, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Um, and so we've been talking about submitting to authority and how really all authority uh, comes from and is established by the Lord and when we submit to authority, we are submitting to the Lord himself. Um, so, you know, when I submit to, uh, you know, the speed limit or whatever law it may be, I'm submitting to God's ordinance. And um, granted, I'm not a saint. I, you know, as a confession, I do speed um, quite a bit. But try not to go too much more than five over. But um, but that's the thing. Those, those authorities have been established by God, and God backs those authorities. So my willingness or unwillingness of my heart to submit and surrender to whatever authority may be, uh, parents, teachers, bosses, um, uh, just employers in general, if you think of, you know, uh, you know the corporate thing um, that you might be employed under, all that stuff. You know, when I submit to my boss, um, you know, when he gets on me about coming into work, late or something, um, and it was only a minute late, um, you know, you know, I can get an attitude about that, 
Um, but that's where the Lord gives us an opportunity to be transformed um, into his likeness. And that's a challenge for me, for sure. But this has been really good. Um, and so, the, but the, the point of that, that submission to authority is ultimately submission to God. And that submission to God is really brokenness. And that brokenness is what unifies us with the Lord. And that's what's so important. Um, he made an illustration here about a war horse. Um, you know, training horses, I guess, I've never been into that, never really known really all of what uh, that is about. But um, a war horse in particular, I mean, they've got to be broken to the point where they, no matter what happens, you know, gunfire, cannons going off, whatever it is, they're not going to flinch. They're not going to go left or right unless the rider tells them to, um, to truly be effective. So, you know, at the same time, you know, they have to be broken down, they have to be trained uh, so much to be brought to that place. Um, and that's really what, what God is after, that brokenness, that broken and contrite spirit. Uh, it's not weakness. It's, um, and he'll, he'll go into it and, and uh, explain it. But I just thought that really what uh, stuck to me um, when I was uh, trying to prepare a little bit for tonight. Um, but just how that correlates with our intimacy with the Lord. It's just, you know, you, I remember in the past when I was, you know, growing up and um, the Lord was really challenging me as a young person to sort of like get it together with my relationship with God. Um, I was raised in the church, um, but, you know, when I was a teenager, the Holy Spirit was working on me. Like, you know, you see all these other people, you know, experiencing the Lord in, in church and feeling his presence. And you see these people worshiping and stuff and and you know, like, like, and I don't feel that, like, they, I know, I, you know, I, I don't have that, um, and, you know, I realized that, you know, the Lord was pinpointing er those areas in my life where I needed to surrender, I needed to, you know, relinquish me, my will, because um, that's really the thing that gets in the way of, you know, me obeying any authority, whether it's direct from God through His Word, or delegated through somebody else in authority over me, church leader, parent, teacher, whatever, whoever. Um, it's just my will and, and me wanting to do what I want to do versus what God wants to do. So as I began to work on those things in my life, systematically going through, you know, the, those, the disobedience, um, and I began to surrender more, I found I could encounter God more deeply. I found you know, that greater sense of surrender, that greater sense of his presence, that it wasn't like I wasn't saved. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, God is my righteousness. I wasn't, you know, earning anything, but he was teaching me through that um, to be more like him, and I had that that closeness. Um, so does anybody have anything they want to share before we launch into the videos? Phil, take the wheel. First, one of the authority you have to learn to submit to authority, and then uh, once you've learned to submit to your boss or your pastor or whatever, there's another level to it. It seems like there's where you kind of listen to what they want, and uh, you pay close attention to. Um, what things you can do to help them be a better leader and um, trying to not, not just listen to what they say, but to do it in a way that brings joy to the team and uh, 
the, the deeper you get into the authority, the uh, the more, like you were saying, the more you feel God's blessings on you. But uh, there's definitely levels to it. It's at first, um, I think a lot of times, like with our, our dogs, they don't want to listen to us a lot of the time. But um, And our children, too. But the older you get, the more you, you learn, hopefully, to, like he's saying, to be able to, um, I guess, be part of the dance and be part of the um, authority levels. That's good. It is amazing what kind of harmony that you, you know, that you can have when, you know, you, you submit. And, you know, we know the word says submit to one another in the fear of the Lord that, um, you know, just that unity that comes and that blessedness, you know, even at work, you know, like he said, you, you cannot only just, and, and he makes that point too, which will come out. Um, actually, I think it was a point that was made last time uh, where there's a difference between obedience and submission or just obeying the command and, and being submitted in spirit. I can, I can obey you know, a rule, but obeying it with a willing heart is what God's after. Um, anybody else? Jim's got the mic. So everybody on live stream can hear us. Um, I've been a Christian for several years. My husband believes in God. However, he's not a practicing Christian. And my predicament was learning to read the Bible. I have a woman's Bible, and it's helped me to see that regardless of how he does, I have to submit myself not only to him but to God. And in doing so to God, it's helped me to overcome some of the things that, because when he gets on my nerves, I want to, but I've learned to stop, pause, Jesus, please calm me down. And I'm able to listen and submit to what he, he's saying. You know, it's, it's not always an easy thing to do, but it's gotten better. It's gotten a lot better over the years. That's so good. I love it when y'all share stuff. <laughs> and that's true. That's like if the Lord's going to pinpoint something in my life, usually the way he does it is like he'll point it out. You know, Kyle, you need, you know, with relationships. I mean, that's our topic tonight. But, you know, any kind of thing, any kind of bit of self-control or, you know, whether it's, you know, use of language or, um, you know, just sort of not reacting in the flesh in some way before I first check myself and realize what I'm about to do or what I'm doing, um, but just to concentrate, okay, you know, next time, just don't say anything right off the bat. You know, try to keep your mouth closed first, and then think about it, and then, and then gradually, like, the Lord helps us to practice the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Can't say something nice, don't say it at all. That's a good one. Um, and there is a blessedness. I mean, and, you know, we'll let John take it away here in a second. Um, but we'll have maybe even a little bit of time for some discussion afterwards. But definitely a lot of room to grow and a lot of blessedness to enter into, for sure, in the Lord. Um, so, Jim, roll, roll film. How could I? 
unfair treatment. First Peter, the second chapter. Now, I want to say this as you turn there and we get ready to go here. God has a goal for us. Everybody say, God's got a goal for us. Now, the goal may not be too much fun. It may not be comfortable. It may be not be nice uh, as far as your flesh comfort goes, but it is very good for us. And you know what that goal is? To break us. Everybody say amen. amen. Now, let me give you an example of what brokenness means because you know what? So many times, brokenness has been mistaken for weakness. And brokenness has nothing to do with weakness. Can you say amen? amen? You can have a horse that is more powerful, more gifted, stronger, jump higher, run faster than any other horse. But if it's not broken, when wartime comes, it's sitting in the stables. The reason is, those horses that are broken, when they ride into battle, the guns are firing, the swords are being wielded, and that horse stays steady on course and only moves at the nudge of his master who is the rider. He is completely submitted to that rider, therefore he is a broken horse. That is exactly what God desires for us. David said it like this in Psalm 51 verse 16 and 17, for you did not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You did not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. Amen? Amen? I want to read now from verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, everybody say, doing good, Amen. you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for wickedness, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We've talked much about that in previous lessons, right? I want to move to the next verse tonight. Verse 18. Servants, now let me say it to you like this. Employees, students, church members, civilians. Are you getting the drift? Servants, be submissive to your masters, employers, bosses, teachers, coaches. Are we on the same page? We're just modernizing this, all right? With all fear, everybody say all fear. all fear. Folks, can I say something to you? Basically, what I've been preaching to you the last eight sessions and what I'm going to continue to preach to you is the fear of God. When we fear God, we recognize his authority. Now watch this, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, we love good and gentle leaders, don't we? But also to the harsh. Wait a minute. Some people don't even know this verse exists. Employees, church members, be submissive to your employers with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, some of you are thinking, well, maybe the New King James is just a little bit strong here with that word. So I thought that too. So I went back to the original, and I found out the Greek word for the word harsh is the Greek word S-K-O-L-I-O-S. In the Thayer's Dictionary, it means this, crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair, and forward. Are we together on this? Now, listen to what W.E. Vines, who is an expert in Greek New Testament words, says. Vines says it is tyrannical or unjust leaders. Tyrannical masters. Now, are you familiar with tyrants? Peter is telling us not only be good and not to be submissive, not only the good and gentle, but the tyrants. Now, how many of you know that God is not a child abuser? 
Now, when I read a verse like this, I've got to say, God, what's the wisdom in this one? Well, God always picks out the perfect leaders for us in order to bring us to a place of growth and maturity and brokenness. You know, I want to read this to you out of the New Century Version. Not only to those who are good and kind, but also to those who are dishonest. The um, contemporary English version says, do this not only to those who are kind and thoughtful, but also to those who are cruel. In New American Standard says, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Are you getting the drift on this one? Now, I'm going to tell you this. Peter's words get absolutely more uncomfortable before they get easier. So I just want to brace you for this, okay? Because look at verse 9. Out of the New Living Translation, he goes on to say this. God is pleased with you when for the sake of conscience you patiently endure unfair treatment. Everybody say unfair treatment. Now, all of us are familiar with unfair treatment. God says it is actually commendable. It is wonderful in his sight. He absolutely delights when his people endure unfair treatment. Now, unfair treatment is when you are treated wrongly when you did what was right. You do good and you get mistreated for it. Isn't that true? Now, I remember we had a situation where my oldest son, he was seven years old in Austin, his younger brother, who was four years old at the time, got something that Addison felt like he should have gotten, and he felt like the thing was totally unfair. So he just looked at his mom, kind of stomped his foot down a little, and said, Mom, that's not fair. And Lisa turned around and looked at Addison and said, Addison, life's not fair. And Addison looked up at Lisa, and as if, my wife, as if to say, you're my mom? What do you mean life's not fair? And she said, Addison, was it fair that Jesus did absolutely nothing wrong, yet he hung on the cross bearing your punishment and your judgment? And he looked at her and he said, no, it's not fair. She said, life's not fair the way you think fair is fair. She said, but it's just. Amen. Now, I want you to notice this. Look at verse 20 now. He goes on to say, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. In other words, all he's saying there is, when you do what's wrong and you get punished for it, you get, you get treated bad, hard for it, don't think like you're getting persecution that's going to give God glory. You're getting what you deserve is what he's saying. See, there's two kinds of persecution. There's persecution we bring on ourselves, and there's persecution for righteousness' sake. Persecution we bring on ourselves is usually from unwise behavior. Correct the behavior, and that persecution stops. But the persecution for righteousness' sake is what God loves when we take it right. Are you with me? Now watch what he goes on to say. Watch this. Verse 21. For to this you were called. Everybody say, this is my calling. You know, we're always talking about that. What are you called to do? What has God called you to do? Everybody, listen, this is your calling. Isn't this fun tonight? Aren't you glad you came? <laughs> For to this you were called. It's all going to make sense in a few minutes, so keep reading. For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his footsteps. Now, I want to read this to you out of the Amplified Bible. Look up at me, please, and listen. For even to this you were called, it is inseparable from your vocation. For Christ also suffered for you, leaving you his personal example so that you should follow in his footsteps. What is our calling, folks? to handle unfair treatment correctly. Jesus left us his personal example. Everybody say his personal example. 
I want to show it to you. Go over with me, please, to Mark's Gospel, the 15th chapter. Now, while you're turning over there, let's ask a question here tonight. What good does handling or suffering unfair treatment accomplish in handling it correctly? Number one, it makes room for God's righteous judgment. Number two, it develops the character of Christ. And number three, our submission under this treatment glorifies God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Mark's Gospel, the 15th chapter, I want you to look at the third verse. Jesus is brought before Pilate, and in verse 3 it says, And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Now would you look up at me? I want to explain this situation to you. The chief priests, as I explained to you in a previous video lesson back then, were the governmental leaders as well as the religious leaders. Jesus is in the highest court in the land. There is no higher court. If you want to modernize this, he's in the Supreme Court. He has been already accused in a lower court and is now brought to a higher court. He is standing before the Roman governor, and this Roman governor has the power to condemn him, the power to put him to the cross, or the power to put him in the dungeon or into hard labor. These men that are governmental leaders, like the senators of his country, are speaking about Jesus in this judgment seat before this judge absolute, total, complete lies. There isn't a shred of truth to what they are saying. Are you with me? But yet, Jesus is not answering them back. Now, the question we have to ask is, why isn't he answering them back? The reason we're going to see in 1 Peter is, is that he is committing his case in the hands of God. I want to share with you something. I was in a situation one time when an authority in my life was not treating me right. And I kept frantically defending myself and even at times felt like vindicating myself. And the Spirit of God gave me a vision one day. And he said, son, as long as you are defending yourself, this is what I'm doing. And I saw the Lord standing with his hands behind his back. He could do nothing. The moment I stopped defending myself, I saw God involved in my situation. And the Lord said, do you want me to defend you or do you want to defend you? I said, God, I want you to defend me. He said, that's good. <laughs> Amen. Can you agree? The moment you justify or defend yourself, you yield to your accuser as judge. Amen. You forfeit your spiritual right of protection, for he rises above you in the realm of the Spirit. When you get what I'm saying in this very lesson today into your spirit, it's going to free you. Now, Jesus answers nothing. Notice verse 3 again. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Everybody say, answered nothing. So he's totally silent. They are speaking complete lies. Why? Because Peter said he left his case in the hands of God who always judges rightly. Now watch this, verse 4. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? Verse 5. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Everybody say, Pilate marveled. This is a Roman governor. He has sat, sat in this judgment seat many, 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 many times before. Men stood before him accused. And these men, if they were accused, were going either to slave labor or they were going to the dungeon or they were going to an, a, a criminal's execution death. 
And Pilate had watched time after time after time, men frantically defending themselves, giving answers to the accusations, defending themselves, trying to keep from judgment coming on their lives. Yet he is watching this man, who he happens to know is a good man, because Pilate knew he was delivered to them through envy. Pilate is marveling. He knows these guys are speaking lies to him, yet he's not defending himself. Why? Because he left his case in the hands of God who judges righteously. I remember when Addison was nine years old, my oldest son. He was coming home from school night after night. He was in a Christian school, and for some reason, he had this one particular teacher that just had it out for him. And this teacher was after him. If five kids were talking in the class, Addison would be singled out and yelled at by this teacher. He would come home in tears many nights. This man was extremely hard on him. He sent a note home about him that went on his permanent record. Addison had been a good student up to then. I mean, the kid's made, I don't think, a handful of B's in, in, in six years. I mean, the kid has been a phenomenal student. But this teacher was out to get him. And so one night he comes home for dinner, and Addison's sitting at the dinner table. And he said, Mom and Dad, I don't know what, else, what to do. He said... We were in line today. The teacher's back was to us. Two kids were standing behind me, were talking and giggling. And he said, the teacher started turning around. And as he turned around, they shut up. And he pointed me out and yelled at me in front of the whole class. And now the tears are running. And mom has got him. And she's like, oh, son. And, and he's, he's just going, I wasn't even talking. And I said, well, Addison, I looked at him and I felt compassion for my son. I said, son, what did you do when this teacher did this to you today? And he said, dad, I looked at him and said, and you could see the frustration in his eyes. He said, I looked at the teacher and said, I wasn't talking. It wasn't me. It was them. I said, now, son, is this the way you always respond when he corrects you? He said, yes, especially if he's not right. <laughs> and I said, well, son, that's not right. I said, it's wrong. And I said, I got a question for you. You want to do this God's way or you want to do this your way? And I began to explain to him, and I read to him these verses of Scripture, and I showed him how Jesus did not defend himself. And the reason Jesus gave us his personal example, the reason he didn't defend himself was because he left his case in the hands of God because he wanted God to judge it. Are you with me? And I said, now, son, let me share something with you that happened with me. You were a little tiny boy. You were about a year and a half, two years old. But let me share something with you. I said, do you remember back when I was a youth pastor? I said, there was the, the office manager of the church. He was out to get me. He was, he was a man that was above me. It was me, and then I reported to him, and he reported to the senior pastor of the church. And this guy was out to get me. He had released a memo campaign that employees used to come up to my wife saying, why doesn't he just put your husband's name on it? The reason he had done this is because he had a 15-year-old boy in my youth group. And I was preaching in this youth group messages of holiness and purity and the fear of God. And one night, his 15-year-old son, after a service, came up to my wife just weeping. And he said, how can I live the holy life that Pastor John is preaching when this is going on at my home, this is going on, this is going on, and this is going on? And my wife was horrified. My wife basically ministered to him and kind of just left the mom and dad part alone. But she thought, my goodness, this is my husband's boss. Well, when that happened, the man set his eye against me. He started the memo campaign. And I'm telling you, he started separating the senior pastor and I. He started telling the senior pastor things about me that I don't believe were true, and he started telling me things about the senior pastor that I don't believe were true. And he started putting information in both of us, trying to put a wedge between us. And I went for four months without meeting the senior pastor. I wasn't able to get in. For some reason, he wouldn't meet with me. 
And so I remember one night after a youth service, four of the young kids came up to me and said, Pastor John, we're so sorry that you're being fired. We can't believe this. I said, excuse me? <laughs> well, who said it? And they said so-and-so. I went to him. Who told, who told you this? They said, well, so-and-so. Well, I traced it to four kids, and finally it got traced back to this office manager's son. I said, where did you hear this? He said, from my dad. So I went to the, to the office manager, and I sat down in his office with him, and I said, listen, your son told some other kids in the youth group that I'm being fired. I said, what is up? And he said, oh, John, I'm so sorry. You know, I was just repeating to my wife at home what the senior pastor's saying about you, and my son happened to hear it, and that's what happened. I'm just sorry. I'm just saying what he's saying. Well, now for the next two months, I didn't know if I was going to be fired or what was going to happen. I had left an engineering job. I'd been in the ministry for over, for over four years, and I didn't have a plan B. And I had a wife, and I had a little child to feed. And, I'm, I, and my wife is just sitting there going, what is going on? I said, I don't know. Well, it kept getting worse and worse and worse until finally a decision was made to fire me. A final decision was made to let me go. And I remember the senior pastor got up on the Sunday morning and told the church of 7,000 people, he said, a decision has been made. There's going to be a big change in the youth group. I want to meet with all the youth on Tuesday night. The two brothers of the pastor told me, they said, John, you're fired. It, it, it was, this was it. And I remember I was to walk into his office on Monday morning, and I was to meet with him and the office manager and one other senior associate pastor. And, now, and that was when they were going to fire me. And I remember walking into that office because all weekend my wife said, what are you going to do? I said, nothing. I said, God sent me here. He's going to have to be the one that vindicates me. I said, I'm not doing a thing. And she said, all right. I walk into the pastor's office. The pastor is sitting there alone. The office manager's not there. The other senior associate's not there. And the senior pastor said, John, God sent you to this church. I am not letting you go. And he said, why does this man want you fired so bad? I said, I don't know. He said, well, make it right. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, just make it right. Well, I remember about a month later, I had some written evidence of the way this man was operating because he was not only trying to get rid of me, but he was trying to get rid of the praise and worship leader and one other pastor. And I got some written, documented evidence of what this guy was doing. And I thought, great. And the pastor, the senior pastor, had said to me in that meeting, he said, now, I want doors open between you and me. So I could then make an appointment and bypass. And I thought, okay, I've got documented evidence of how this man's working. I'm going to bring it to the senior pastor. And I remember making an appointment with the senior pastor. In the morning I was supposed to meet with him, I was in prayer saying, okay, God, how am I supposed to share this? For 45 minutes, I'm like, okay, Lord, tell me, how am I supposed to say this? Yet there's no peace. And I remember after 45 minutes, I looked up and I screamed, Lord, you don't want me to show this to him, do you? And the peace of God went whoosh. And I thought, I don't understand this. And I tore it up and threw it away. I thought, you know, I was thinking, I'm doing this not only for me, but for the other people. But really later, I knew who I was doing it for. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> well, about a month later, I was outside praying because I love praying outside. And I was outside praying on the church grounds. And I remember an hour before the, the, the office was open, seeing this office manager drive up in his Cadillac. And he pulls up into his parking spot, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and he says, Matthew chapter 18, I want you to go to him and apologize to him. I said, Lord, what? <laughs> me apologize to him? He needs to apologize to me. He's been trying to fire me. And the Lord spoke to me, and that's all he said. And so I prayed about something else. <laughs> I started praying for world missions real quick. <laughs> that's the truth.
And after about 20 minutes of absolute dry prayer and God's presence nowhere to be found, I said, Lord, what are you saying right now? And the Lord said, Matthew 18, I want you to go to that man and apologize to him. I said, Father, I don't understand this. This makes no sense. Well, the Lord began to minister to me, and I saw what was going on. And I remember walking into my office and calling him and saying, I need to meet with you. Would you meet with me? And he said, sure. So I went to his office, and I sat down with him, and I said, I want to apologize to you. I said, I was out in prayer this morning, and the Spirit of God really showed me something. I have been very critical and very judgmental of you, and I am wrong. And he looked at me, and he said, well, I forgive you. And then we just had a few-minute conversation. That's all I said. I didn't say, but you've done this and you've done that. I said, I have been critical, period. And we, I walked out of the office. Well, his attacks against me subsided. And I remember six months later, I was out of town for one weekend. And everything this man had done got exposed. It was so severe, they could have thrown him in jail like that. He could have been prosecuted. I had no idea it was that severe. The pastor had mercy. He did not prosecute, but he immediately fired that man that weekend. And when I came back from out of town, he was already gone and his desk cleared out. I remember a year and a half later seeing him in the airport. And when I saw him, I remember I walked up to him, put my arms around him, and I could honestly look in his eyes and say, how are you doing? Because I had already gone and I had already apologized to him. But you know what the interesting thing is? The very pit that he had dug for me, he himself fell into. I told this story to my young son, Addison, at nine years old. I said, son, this is what happened. I said, now, son, you can choose to do this God's way and let God defend you with your teacher. Or I said, you can keep justifying yourself. And he said, but, Dad, what if the teacher's wrong? I said, has your way worked so far? He went, no. I said, let's do it God's way. He said, you know what? I'm going to. So the next day, he, he, he sat down with his teacher. He made an appointment with him. He apologized to his teacher for challenging his authority constantly. The teacher was blown away. The end of the next week, Addison got from that teacher Student of the Week award. And at the end of the year, that teacher gave a reward to the most outstanding student in his class the entire year. Do you know who got it? Addison got it. Now, it works for a nine-year-old boy. How much will it work? more will it work for us? Are you seeing this? Go back to 2 Peter. Let me show you this. Second Peter. Verse 21, for to this you were called because, of, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Everybody say, he left me his personal example. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled or accused, he did not accuse or revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to his Father who judges righteously. Would you look up at me, please? David is a young man that learned the same thing. David was brought into Saul's palace. He was made his armor bearer. He became good friends with Saul's children. He ate at his table. David had been prophesied by the prophet that he was going to be the next king of Israel. And everything is going just right for David. But all of a sudden, one day they come back because as, as, David is Saul's armor bearer and the women are singing songs. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now Saul is throwing spears at David, trying to pin him to the wall, making him a decoration in the castle. And so David eventually has to leave the castle. For 16 years, David is running from wilderness to wilderness. Saul gets 3,000 of the finest warriors of Israel. They go to the wilderness of En Gedi because they heard David was there. 
They go into the cave to minister to themselves. I believe they were taking a bath or, 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 or they were going to the bathroom or something, but they have to take off their armor. When they did, David's men looked at him and said, this is it, David. God has given you your enemy. Look what he's done. He's got no armor on. Let's go kill him. God is vindicating you. David said, God forbid that I touch my master. Right? And so you know what David does? Because in the heart of every person that has a cruel leader, they think somebody lied to him and told him that I'm in rebellion or I want something of his. So David is constantly thinking, how can I prove that I am not in rebellion to my leader? So David goes and cuts a little piece of the robe off. And he goes a great distance. And Saul comes out and David says, my father, my father. In other words, Saul, why aren't you being a father to me? He said, I could have killed you right there. If there was rebellion in me, I was even encouraged to do it. But I want you to know there's no rebellion in me. I am not out after your throne or your ministry. And Saul goes, oh, David, you're righteous. You're more righteous than I. And Saul leaves and David thinks, I finally proved my innocence to him. I've proven I'm not rebellion. He'll probably send somebody to bring me back. But two chapters later, just two chapters later, Saul hears he's in the hills of Hillekai, and Saul brings the same 3,000 soldiers out to kill him. Now, can you imagine the devastation in David when his leader now is coming out to kill him and he's already proven there is absolutely no rebellion in him? He realizes now this man is out to kill me no matter what, no matter if I'm innocent or I'm guilty. He is a wicked man. Are you following me? Now, listen carefully. Saul comes into the place where David is, into the area where he's at. And the Bible says that the Lord put Saul, Abner, and all 3,000 soldiers into a deep sleep from the Lord. And David knew it. So David goes to his men and says, who will sneak into Saul's camp with me? And God picks the perfect guy, Abishai, bloodthirsty. He's Joab's little brother. Are you, you understand? And Abishai says, I'll go. <laughs> David says, let's go. So they sneak all the way to the center where Saul is lying down. And Abner gets the spear and he says, all right, David, just give me the word. I'm going to run it through and he'll never get up again. And he's waiting for David to say something, but he's not saying anything. He looks at him and says, David, David, come on, just give me the word. And David doesn't say anything. So he looks at him and he says, wait a minute, David, David, David. This man murdered 85 ministers, their wives and their children, in cold blood because they gave you a sword and they gave you some food. He murdered 85 of God's priests in cold blood and their wives and their little babies. Come on, just give me the word. <laughs> David doesn't say anything. He said, David, this is self-defense. He's trying to kill you. And if you don't defend yourself, he'll kill you. This will stand up in any court of law. Just give me the word. And David's not saying anything. David, don't you know? God sent the prophet to anoint you. You're going to be the next king of Israel. Why do you think God would put this whole army into a deep sleep? He is delivering our nation from this man who's killing people, innocent people, and destroying our nation. He's delivering us. David still doesn't say anything. Abishai looks at him and says, why aren't you telling me to do this? And David looks at Abishai and says, don't touch him. Because who can stretch out their hands against their leader and remain guiltless? And you know what David said? He said, let God judge between him and me. 
He left his case in the hands of him who judges righteously. He walks out of the camp. To remain a man or a woman after God's heart, you must leave your case in the hands of God. Why does God say handle unfair treatment correctly? Why does he tell us to rejoice and not to defend ourselves? Because he said, if you don't, I will. If you get this in your spirit, if you get it in your life, let me tell you something. God never loses any cases he seeks to defend. It may not be as quick as you want it or the way you want it, but it'll come. Coming up, John talks about the true test of a believer's maturity and how afflicted judgment. In this lesson, I want you to open up your Bibles to Genesis 9 and also, while you're at it, find Romans 13. Put a marker in Romans 13. And let's go to Genesis, the ninth chapter. It is sad, but not everyone responds to leadership like David did. We talked about that in the last session. Too often, we delight in seeing defects in our authorities. Now, listen carefully. Then we feel justified to throw off restraint. But our response to the sins of others, especially those who are leaders, is one of the greatest indicators of our spiritual maturity. This being the case, God often uses the faults or the mistakes and even sins of authorities in our lives to expose the true conditions of our heart. We see this clearly in one of Noah's sons. Noah was the one who built the ark. After the flood, Noah took up farming. One time, I guess out of depression maybe, the fact that he was the last father on the earth. I mean, that could be kind of lonely. You understand that? Noah got drunk on some of his produce. He got so drunk, he went into his tent and completely uncovered himself. He was stark nude. His youngest son walks in, whose name is Ham, and when Ham sees his dad, he goes, <gasps> and he walks out and he tells everybody. Now, everybody at that time is just Shem and Japheth, but he told them. You got it? <laughs> and he goes out and he says, guys, Dad is drunk as a skunk and naked as a jaybird. <laughs> now, Shem and Japheth, when they hear about that, put a garment on their shoulders, and they walk into the tent backwards, refusing to look at their father's nakedness. They do not want that image in their minds. They walk in backwards, and they cover him up. They do not want the women and the children knowing about it, and they walk out. They cover their father. Are you with me? Yeah. Ham uncovers him. Shem and Japheth cover him. Now watch what happens. The next morning, Noah wakes up, and he realizes what his youngest son had done, and Noah pronounces a curse on Ham's youngest son, Canaan. And listen to the curse that he pronounces. Look at verse 24. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servant he shall be. To his brethren and he said blessed be the Lord God of Shem and may Canaan be his servant may God enlarge Japheth and may he dwell in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be his servant a curse is pronounced on Ham's youngest son and that curse goes from generation to generation to generation are you with me yes. now isn't it interesting the very curse that Ham thought he was going to bring on his father ended up coming on him Remember, in our earlier video lesson, we found out rebellion is witchcraft. It is a curse. Isn't that right? Yes. 
the very thing he thought he was going to do. Why does he want to dishonor his father? Because then if his father tells him to do something that he doesn't want it to do, he doesn't necessarily have to obey him. If you don't like what your authority tells you to do, if you can discredit your authority in your eyes, then you don't have to obey him. You can cast off restraint. Noah's the one that sinned. Ham was the one that was right. But you can be 100% right and still be wrong. Ham was 100% accurate in what he reported, yet he was wrong. Why? He dishonored his authority. Somebody who has a rebellious heart will rejoice when their authority falls. If you ever find a mistake that, that somebody in authority over you makes, or, or a sin, or some kind of failure, if you ever find joy, or they got what they deserved, in your heart, you don't have the heart of God. Compare that with David. What does David do when Saul finally gets judged by God? He sings a love song about Saul. Ham took joy in what happened with his father. He didn't have the heart of God. Romans 13, I want to read it again. This is our foundational scripture for the entire undercover sessions. Verse 1, let's read it carefully. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Now watch this carefully. And those who resist bring judgment on themselves. Isn't that amazing? They bring judgment on themselves. Folks, I have spent in the entire 1980s I, I worked for two major ministries. One ministry had 450 employees on their staff. The other one had about 150 employees on their staff. I worked for these ministries for years. I want to tell you something tonight. I'm going to tell you something that never, ever failed to happen. In all the years, and even afterwards, every single person that left those ministries complaining about their pastor complaining about the leadership that the pastor appointed, griping about it, angry about it, even if they were mistreated, I've seen judgment come on their lives. It's manifest in the areas of financial problems, sickness, other hardships. It never failed. And it seems that they're never able to find a stable job afterwards. However, I saw people on those staffs mistreated. I saw them absolutely mistreated. They were let go when it was really somebody else and a false report got to them, and they were not treated right. They didn't have a chance to be able to report it right. And you know what? They stayed sweet. I'd go to them afterwards, and they'd say, you know what? I love Pastor, and this is his decision. I submit to it, to him, and I just love him. And I never heard them complain. And you know what? I watched every single one of those people. I watched God promote them. And I have kept up with many of them as much as 13 years later, and I've seen their lives just do nothing but be blessed and steadily progress in their call of God in their life. It has never, ever, ever failed. Not once. I have never seen a person leave complaining and not repenting of their complaining. Bitter, angry, and yet not go through some form of hardship. The Bible says those that resist the authority bring judgment on themselves. Go with me to the book of Numbers, please. Numbers, the 12th chapter. Are you there? All right. In Numbers 12, we read in verse 1, Then Miriam. Now I want to ask a question. Who is Miriam? 
Moses' sister. Can I add this? His big sister. Are we on the same page for those of you that have siblings? All right. What else is Miriam? She's a prophetess. And as a matter of fact, she's not a self-appointed prophetess. like we see some self-appointed prophets and prophetesses running around in the church today. God called her a prophetess. Her prophecy is still written in the Bible. Isn't that right? Right? So we're talking about a heavy hitter here, right? Then Miriam and Aaron. Uh, would you look up at me? Who's Aaron? Moses' brother. Can I add this? His big brother? What else is Aaron? He's high priest, right? So, you know, folks, we are talking about two pretty heavy hitters here in the camp, okay? These are, these are people that are high up in position, right? Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. They criticized him, another translation says. Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Moses marries this woman from Africa. Now, I'm going to say something. Please listen to me all the way through. Is what he did technically right? No. God did not want them to marry outside because he was trying to preserve Abraham's seed. He said in Deuteronomy, he actually said it through Moses' own mouth, foreign wives will turn your heart away from me. Are you with me? Now, I want to make this very clear. He, God was preserving a seed in the Old Testament, but you've got to take every truth from the Old Testament and run it through the cross. The cross will either change it it will delete it or it will leave it the same. Are you with me? Example, take praise and run it through the cross, it leaves it the same. Take prophecy and run it through the cross, it revises it. Take this principle, run it through the cross, and it deletes it. Because Paul says to us clearly, there is neither Jew, there is neither Greek, there is neither black, there is neither Asian, there is neither Indian, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. There is nothing wrong today with a black man marrying an Asian woman or an Indian man marrying a Chinese woman. Are you with me? Yes. Nothing wrong. I think it's great. Amen? Because we're one big family. Amen. Technically, back then, what he did was a little wrong, wasn't it? Now, the question I want to ask is what fueled their criticism? What fueled them to speak against Moses? Verse 2. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, would you look up at me? What fueled them was the fact that God had spoken through them before. Well, I'll say so. Miriam's uh, uh, prophecy is still in the Bible. Aaron was the spokesman that gave the word of the Lord to Pharaoh. Isn't that right? I mean, God had gifted these two people. But here's where they went wrong, folks. They allowed the gifting of God in their life to elevate themselves above the authority. See, let me make an explanation here to you. If you go to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter... Now, just listen to me, and I'll just tell you about this. You can look it up later. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, you will find out that the Bible says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. What are some of the gifts? Healings, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. If you go over to Romans, you find out other gifts are giving, mercy, uh, leadership, right? There's all kinds of gifts, right? Are you with me? The Bible says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit is over the gifts. Are you with me? But the next verse, verse 4 in Romans, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, there are diversities of offices, but the same Lord. That shows us that Jesus, the Lord, is over the offices. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, He himself, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, you must realize the authority of the kingdom of God. Everybody say, the kingdom of God is a kingdom. The kingdom, of God is a kingdom. It is not a democracy. The authority of the kingdom flows from the Father down through Jesus. Didn't Jesus say, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth? Yes. 
Therefore, the authority flows right down through Jesus. It goes right through the offices, not through the gifts. So here's the common thing that happens. This, past, this person's in a pastor's church, and he says, you know, this pastor's only got 300 people in his church. My company's got 5,000 people. I need to help him. Well, he won't receive my help. He doesn't know what he's doing. He starts criticizing the pastor. He's allowed the gifting in his life. Yeah, he's got a gift of leadership. God put it in him, and he's doing quite well in the business world. But what he does is he allows the gift of leadership to elevate himself above the authority God put him under. Let me give you another example. Pastors in the church. And you know what? There's another person in the church, and they prophesied, and the words came to pass. They laid hands on a few sick people, and they got healed. They laid hands on another person, they fell over. Wow. <laughs> and they say, you know what? My pastor doesn't prophesy and speak in tongues and lay hands on the sick, and he doesn't knock people over like I do. So now, all of a sudden, they are elevating themselves above the authority that God put them under. Are you with me? This is exactly what fueled Miriam and Aaron. They thought, okay, he did the wrong thing, marrying this Ethiopian gal, and so now he's blown it. God's talked through us. We've been Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. So obviously now we got something to say. We now become over our Moses. Now, they never would have probably said that, but they are elevating themselves by their behavior of criticism. Who are you to criticize another, uh, uh, another man's servant? Who are you to criticize God's servant? You have no place. It's not even your eye. I relieve you from the pressure of it tonight. <laughs> it's none of our business. Isn't that wonderful? Everybody's always sitting there stressing about, oh, how's God going to handle this person or that person or this person? Oh, you know what? You're stressing over something that's none of your business. And you're treading on dangerous ground. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Let me tell you something, folks. God hears what you're whispering to one another. He hears what you're saying around the dinner table. Hey, listen, don't come to your pastor and say, why aren't my kids submitted when you're criticizing your pastor and your boss at the dinner table at home? The Lord heard it. Now look at verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Now that's God's opinion. That was not Miriam and Aaron's opinion at that point. They thought he was just got a little too big for his britches. Let me tell you something, folks. Look up at me, please. True humility does not mean to act like a wimp or religious, this weird religious stuff. True humility. Let me tell you something. People that walk in true humility many times are, are mistaken for people that are arrogant. What did David's big brother say to David? I know that pride that's in your heart. Hey, God said he's a man after my heart. But David said, I'll kill him. Give me his head. I'll cut it off. They said, he's full of pride. No, he wasn't. He was a man after God's heart. Humility is when you are completely, totally submitted to the will of God and you are obedient to him. That's humility. The man Moses was humble more than all the men are on the face of the earth. Verse 4, suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. suddenly. That's the way judgment always comes. It comes suddenly, unexpected. Bam. Are you with me? And you know what's really scary is you'll sit there and you'll keep talking away and talking away and talking away thinking God's not taking notice of this. This is what happens with people when they start to sin. When they start, to, and I'm talking about sinning with their mouth. When they start talking about leaders over them, they think, well, you know, they kind of look for the lightning bolt on the first criticism and they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but nothing happened. They think, okay, I guess God's not upset with that. So then they feel freer the next time to speak. And the conviction's not so hard because there's a veil of deception. Amen. Suddenly the Lord came and said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Now, can't you just see them walking out? And Miriam's elbowing Aaron saying, get ready, Aaron. She married this Ethiopian chick. God's going to make you now the man. He blew it. This is it. And you know what? They're feeling self-justified the whole time they're walking out, right? Are you with me? 
So now watch this. Watch this, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood in the door of the tabernacle, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. They think, okay, it's reward time now. Verse 6, then he said, Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings, for he sees the form of the Lord. Why then, watch this, read this carefully, bold face highlight it in your Bible. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Watch this, folks. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And the, when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was a leopard. So Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one of the dead flesh, half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, God, I pray. Now watch this. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she be, may be received again. Let me tell you something. It was certain. It was severe. Amen? Now, I want to say this. There are times people have fallen under certain judgments because of speaking against authority. And you know what? They get their act together afterwards. You'll never find Miriam doing anything wrong again in the Scripture. Now, here's that. That's the good news, because even when God brings judgment, in judgment, he looks for mercy. Now, let me tell you, she was shut up from the camp for seven days, but you know what's really neat is her attitude changed and her behavior changed. But you know what? This isn't always the case, because I can tell you about another group of guys. As a matter of fact, we're real close there. Go over to Numbers chapter 16. It didn't turn out that way for them. They received eternal judgment. Everybody say eternal judgment. Number 16, look at verse 1. Are you there? Now Korah, now I want to make this very clear to you. Look up at me. Everybody say Korah. Korah was a Levitical priest. You got it? He's the guy that's going into the holy place that the other people were not allowed to go to. Heavy guy here, folks. Now Korah, the son of Isar, here we go with these names, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, the son of Dathan, excuse me, with Dathan and Abram, the sons of Elab and of On, the son of Peth, the sons of Reuben, took men. Wow, that's a job getting through that. Verse 2, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, you Now watch this. You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Would you look up at me? They came against Moses. They said, Moses, you take too much upon yourself. You've made yourself a prince and a leader over us. Well, let me say this to you folks. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. In a democracy, leaders are elected. If you've got some talent, you've got some friends with money, you can get elected. You got it? Not so in a kingdom. Leaders are appointed. Everybody say, appointed. appointed. Say it again. Appointed. The Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 12, I think it's verse 3, that every man, let, let, listen, that let no man think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Are you with me? 
Because God goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, concerning appointment, everybody say appointment. He says, and no man takes this honor to himself. You do not aspire to be a leader. Let me tell you, most people that are in leadership in the body of Christ really don't want it, to be honest with you. I'm just, I'm being truthful with you. I have looked at my wife before and I said, you know what? If God said you've written your last book, I want you to sit down. It'd be wonderful to go out and run a ski lift and just witness the people as they come by. <laughs> or just go out and play golf and witness the people on the golf course or just go do something or just serve somebody. To be very honest with you. I mean, when you really have been put into a place by God, to be honest with you, it's not something your flesh is passionate for. It's something your heart burns for because you want to please God, but it's not something you sit there and say, oh, wouldn't it be fun to do that? Uh-uh. And I find people that are aspiring and wanting, wanting to have aspirations and uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? They're ambitious. Are people that do not have the heart of God. They're not, or they're not ready for the call. Okay? They're still not broken yet. Are you with me? The Bible very clearly says, no man takes this honor to himself. And you know what it says in verse 5 in Hebrews chapter, in this chapter of Hebrews, it says, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. Even Jesus didn't put himself in his position. Are you with me? Now, put your marker right there and go over to Romans chapter 1. Let me show you something here. Romans, the first chapter. I need to talk to you about appointment. Everybody say appointment. Remember Jesus made the statement, many are called, few are chosen. The word chosen and appointment are very similar. What he's literally saying is many are called, but only few are appointed. Why are only a few appointed? Because few pay the price in obedience to be chosen. Are you with me? God has a call on every one of us. And listen, many of us are actually called by God to five-fold ministry. What do I mean by five-fold? These are eldership positions in the church. But you know what? Not everybody's going to walk in those five-fold ministry positions because many will not pay the price to be able to be chosen by God and appointed into that place. Because the Bible is very clear that every man must or woman must be tested before they're appointed. When the Apostle Paul got saved, because let me, let, let me show you this. Let's just take Paul as an example. Romans, the first chapter, are you there? Uh, in Romans chapter 1, Paul makes an interesting statement. He says, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Everybody say, called, called. and separated. When he was separated is when he was appointed. Now, let me talk about that separation. When Paul first got saved, he had a passion. He preached Jesus. He got himself in a little trouble. had to be let down in a basket. But then what he did is he spent years serving in the church, I believe, in the ministry of helps. As a matter of fact, one of my Bible school teachers actually t shared that he had served almost 11 years as a helps type of, of ministry. But then at one point in his church, home church, everybody say home church, you don't get appointed by the prophetic ministry group that's meeting down by the beach in the nice hotel. <laughs> God appoints people by your home church when elders have watched you serve and live before him. Say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Isn't that nice? So now listen to me. I'm going to be rough because it's so many people are getting hurt. I'm going to get a little rough right now on that, okay? I hope you understand. So Paul served, and at one particular time, obviously, he had been faithful because the Bible says, let them first also be tested, and after they've been tested, let them be appointed. He had obviously been faithful and was appointed in the church of Antioch as a teacher. Everybody say teacher. Now, go with me please to Acts the 13th chapter and let's see this. He's already served in the ministry of helps. Then he was obviously appointed as a teacher. And we know he was appointed as a teacher. Write this down from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11. Paul said that he was a teacher of the Gentiles. 
Everybody say, or he was, excuse me, he was an apostle and a teacher sent to the Gentiles. Everybody say, teacher. Now, look at this, Acts the 13th chapter, verse 1. Now in the church was, which was in Antioch, we're talking about the local New Testament church, there, was a certain, there were certain prophets and teachers. Are you seeing this? Now look who some of the prophets and teachers were. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we see that Saul and Barnabas are either prophets or teachers, and we know from Paul's own mouth in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, that he was a teacher, right? Watch this. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Paul and Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit who ordained them in front of their local New Testament church where they had served. That is God's way. That is a way of God because then the elders of the church can watch that person, see how he handles rough situations, see how he handles criticism, see how he handles unfair treatment, see how he handles other character things, and they can say, yes, God can speak to their heart, bear witness with them, and say, yes, Lord, I've seen the evidence. Yes, we can lay hands on him. Are you with me? Then you're sent out by the Holy Ghost. That is how I was ordained into the ministry. My pastor, after, serving as, after me serving as youth pastor faithfully, and I told my pastor, I said, if I'm here till Jesus comes, this is where I'm staying. I said, God will have to talk to you before I leave. I said, he'll have to show you. And I remember God showed my pastor in a vision that I was called to travel and preach. He came into that pastor's meeting with 11 pastors and said, gentlemen, the Holy Spirit showed me last night, one of you is called to travel all over, and that's you, John Bevere. Me. Eleven months later, he laid hands on us and he sent us forward. Are you seeing? It was the Holy Ghost who sent us. Now, Paul knew he was called as an apostle, but it wasn't until he was ordained and sent forth, right? Now, let me show you something about Moses. Go with me over to Acts chapter 7. This is most interesting. In Acts the 7th chapter, look at verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Notice he was mighty in words. Isn't it interesting? After God got through with his breaking process, he said, I can't even talk. <laughs> Verse 23. Now when he was 40 years old, watch this, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Verse 25. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God delivered them by his hand, but they did not. Now watch this. Keep reading. Verse 27. But he who did this to his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? This was a Hebrew man. Moses tried to avenge him, and he pushed Moses away and said, Who made you a ruler and a judge over me? He said the exact same thing that Korah said. But you know what? There was no judgment for that guy. You want to know why? Because Moses hadn't been appointed yet. The authority of God wasn't on him. But if you go back over to Numbers chapter 16, go over there. I want you to see what happens with, with Korah. Verse 12, and Moses sent to call Dathan and Abram and the sons of Eleb, but they said, we will not come up. Verse 23, so the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abram. Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abram and the elders followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Man, this guy's a Levitical priest. And notice the term that Moses uses. He is a wicked man. Why? One reason he rose up against the authority that God put under, uh, over him. And you know what's really, really scary? Is he still thought he was serving God. Because he said, Moses, all the congregation's holy. He's still thinking he's serving God. 
Watch this. Touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done any of them of my own will. If these men die a natural death, or die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up and all that belongs to them, then they go down to the pit alive, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. And you know what happens? The words no more come out of his mouth that the whole earth opens up and these men are swallowed in it. And you know what's really amazing? The next day, this is how contagious rebellion is. The whole congregation rises up and says, Moses, you killed the men of the Lord. Do not make friends with a rebellious person because it is like a contagious disease. Can you say amen? Before there was a church, civil government, or social authority, there was the family. So what happens when you break down the family structure? In his next lesson, John Bevere deals with the foundation of authority in the teaching Odds and Ends. If you are enjoying That was a lot. That was pretty heavy. <laughs> I mean, but it's Word. It's the Word of God. It's Bible. Um, I mean, I know I can say for myself I've got a lot to work on, but that what he was emphasizing there about the fear of God, I mean, that's something that uh, I think, you know, we see sort of not being preached a whole lot anymore uh, as much, just like in general. Um, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on the love of God. Um, I mean, we've got great balance here at this church, um, with everything, but, um, when you do hear, you know, the, those hard words about the fear of the Lord, it, I mean, it's sobering. It produces something in your spirit that is necessary. That's so necessary to keep us on the, the straight and narrow. Um, if anybody has anything they want to share, um, Feel free to, to wave. Jim's keeping an eye out as well. Um, the other thing um, that is that we don't like to really hear or talk about a whole lot is is the judgment of God. <clears throat> um, and like, does God still, like he was saying about those people in the ministry um, that rejected authority uh, or talked badly about their leaders um, and how they, you know, essentially were, had a hard life. They were being judged or at least chastened uh, as believers um, by the Lord uh, till they came back around. And then on the flip side, those who did the right thing, even when they were wronged um, and, you know, bless those, you know, who even, you know, misunderstood them or whatever, wrongfully accused them. Um, they, they, you know, the Lord turned that around. I mean, that's, that's just an awesome lesson that would hit me real hard. Just, uh, you know, letting God deal with, um, you know, those, those issues that come up instead of taking the matter into your own hands, letting the Lord work. That takes a lot of faith, but I think at the same time, it sort of brings that peace to know, like, you know, if God's going to deal with it, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to expend all that energy and just spin my wheels anyway and not really get anywhere. The Lord will vindicate. Um, awesome, uh, awesome truths there to sort of hide in your heart for sure. Um, 
Does anybody have any personal examples to share? <laughs> Not maybe of yourself, but um, of someone else or anything like that. Uh, I mean, just kind of growing up in the church, I know, um, you know, you see some things, um, and a, a lot of a lot of stuff, you know, it's not always pretty, you know, even in church circles, like that whole story with Korah's rebellion. I mean, and those things, you know, John Bevere shared about, you know, even in ministry, major ministries, you know, wherever you have people, even in, you know, believers, even in the body of Christ, you're going to have issues. Um, you're going to have leaders who make mistakes. You're going to have, um, you know, even bad leaders like King Saul. You're going to have times where, you know, your heart is tested. And like he said, that test of um, submitting to authority really shows us what's in our own hearts. A lot of times when, when we're faced with that decision, you know, what am I going to do when I'm, you know, unjustly wronged or whatever by a leader? Um, that really <laughs> shows me what's what's inside and, you know, how much the Lord still has to work on me. Um, so that's another thing to keep in mind when things happen. And they do happen, and um, you know, and it can be, it can be heartbreaking in the church, especially to see like, you know, people you look up to, or, uh, or just Christians in general, um, people you have, you know, you hold to a high degree, um, you know, just either mess up or walk away from the Lord or uh, do something against you to offend you or hurt you. Um, you know, that that can be devastating. It can be very, very hurtful. Um, but, you know, that point he also shared, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Um, you know, he's like, just, that's not your job. Take that load off. You know, pray for them, um, you know, whoever it may be. Uh, but don't, you know, because I've gotten tied in knots about, oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, they're whatever, getting entangled in a bad relationship or, you know, they're not waiting for God's choice or they're, you know, they're they're going off into the world, you know, they're not coming to churches so much or whatever, you know, and it's good. I think part of that is the heart of God in us. Um, we intercede for others, you know, we feel for others when they stumble or whatever, but, you know, at the same time, um, you know, they're the Lord's servant, and the Lord's heart is the one that is grieving the most, and He is the one, um, you know, to, to bring them back and to work on them, so that's an important thing to remember. Um, we are all the Lord's um, you know, we can't, it's easy to get possessive of people. You know, you want them to be perfect. And you had something, Jim? Sure, I won't take long on this. Uh, my father was, uh, worked for the U.S. Patent Office in the 1950s. I think it was the 19, yeah, 1950s, late 40s, early 50s, the time of Kennedy. And uh, one day he came to work and he had a pin on his lapel. It was called an Adley Stevenson pin. Some of you all who are very young might remember that pen. It was a picture of two shoes, and one had a hole in it because Adley Stevenson wore a shoe that had a hole in it. And so instead of being in a point of embarrassment, he actually had a pen made up that said, you know, I'm the kind of guy who has a hole in one of my shoes. Well, my dad wore that to his work one day. They got him on the Hatch Act. And through... Uh, uh, a long way of circumstances, they completely fired him from his job. I mean, utterly lost his job. He lost his office. He lost his position. He lost everything. And uh, because he was, you know, under the Hatch Act. And so uh, my dad did get a lawyer, and he saw him in court, and he won his job back. 
So he got his job back after like six months with all the back pay. But the people making sure that they emphasized the fact that they really wanted to understand how much they disliked him, they made him sit in a chair out in the hallway. <laughs> and there he sat for a year in a hallway. He was the guy without an office. <laughs> and I know you all didn't know my dad, but my dad would not say anything negative about that. And he was able to certainly hold his tongue and let God... Um, take care of the whole situation. Many years later, when I was old enough, I came to see him at his office. So I think by the, sooner or later, they relented and decided to put him back in an office. So uh, God is faithful to us if we're faithful to be quiet in the situations. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I would react if I was put out <laughs> for a year like that. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean... The Lord, the Lord has a way. Um, you know, I can think of some small uh, instances in my life where I was challenged to sort of stay the course, um, you know, not, not say anything, do the right thing. Um, and, um, you know, I can say uh, sort of at work it happened um, when I got hired where I'm working now. Um, the, basically, the, the supervisor over me um, uh, had uh, he was uh, about the same age as me, and um, and he had some schooling that I didn't have, but I had some other uh, experience, work experience that he didn't have, um, and he uh, he got sort of promoted into that position all of a sudden, and I was under him, and he had a little bit of a rough time with it, and I found in just in his you know frustration of trying to uh, get into that uh, position and fill those shoes, and it was definitely hard. Uh, a hard role he had to play. Um, you know, he was kind of lashing out at me a little bit here and there. Um, so, you know, it was just a small little test, but, you know, those things happened in our lives, and I was basically, you know, my patience was tested. I had to exemplify the Lord, first of all, um, you know, and then just uh, still sort of honor his authority, even though, you know, there were some things I didn't, you know, agree with what he was doing, you know, corner cutting and whatnot, Um and, uh, you know, just being impatient or whatever with me, um, I was, you know, taught by the Lord to humble myself, you know, keep my, keep myself in check. I wasn't supposed to have a, you know, a spirit of competition um, and sort of, you know, maybe elevate myself uh, to, to the degree where I, maybe I could be promoted or whatever, um, but sort of just, you know, take the, the, you know, the second fiddle spot, let him do his thing, support him as much as possible, and um, through a little bit of patience with that, eventually a different job opportunity uh, arose for him um, that he had to jump on all of a sudden. So um, he called me up and said, you know, this opportunity came up, um, but in order to take it, it's a really good thing. Uh, I got to leave, you know, immediately. Can't really give my two weeks or whatever. Talked to the boss about it. He said, you know, if any of us were in your shoes, we'd go for it, go for it, you know. Um, so, you know, he left for that job, and then I got promoted into the job he had. And, um, uh, and so I got, you know, that promotion and, um, the Lord just kind of worked it out, but, you know, there's a small example, but there's those little tests where, you know, you, you know, you're supposed to do the right thing. You're not treated quite right. You know, you know, you could maybe, you know, have thoughts, well, I can do that job better or whatever. Um, or I could do it better than this or that person. Or if I was in a place of leadership, 
you know, I wouldn't do this or that, or if I was preaching this sermon or whatever it is, you know, I'd preach it a little better or, um, you know, it's, there's little things of pride that can rise up and, um, you know, the Lord challenges us to, to be, to be humble, to love, to love people, support our leadership. And, you know, may God help us to, um, to learn that lesson. I mean, the series is undercover. It's all about being under God's authority, under his covering, that Psalm 91 uh, wings uh, in the secret place, the shelter of the Most High, when we submit to God's will and God's way through his leadership, we enter into that place of safety, promotion, blessing, um, not just for us, but our families. Um, and the blessings, I think, are just more than we can count, um, you know, when, we, when the Lord teaches us to do that. Um, so we are almost out of time. Did anybody else have anything, any last closing comments or anything? <laughs> Gotta turn it on for you. As long as, that, as long as the light is red on there. It's red. Okay. You're good. I'm used to and know about submitting myself to the authority of God, but listening to this, it's made me reflect on a lot of self-inflicted judgment. Mm. So now I know that now that I'm more aware of it, it's something that I need to keep in the top of my head to recognize and I need to work on that because I'm very bad at that. <laughs> Try not to be. <laughs> That's good. Say something. I just wanted to say a prayer that I pray all the time is I'm trying to talk low because I talk hard and loud. Go a prayer it. I pray all the time is God get me where I'm supposed to be because I know that because of my mistakes and bad choices I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And I, I love the scripture to say a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men. And I found out you don't have to push your way. All you have to do is stay put and, like you say, submit and, and follow authority. And I just want to give this, this, this thing that just happened to me about two Sundays ago. I went to a service on a, on a Sunday evening, and there was a professional singer there. I don't know whether y'all ever heard of the Pace Sisters. Have anybody heard of the Pace Sisters? Well, one of them was here about two Sundays ago, and um, she was at this church, so the church, it was crowded. I was there, I got there like late, and, um, and, and I just feel like God was using this. And my leader that I sat up under for 15 years was there to speak. So I walked in, and the church was crowded and everything, and I just sat in the back. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the lady said, the professional singer said, would somebody open their Bibles and read for me? And she did get a scripture, and if you wouldn't ask me, I would have knew where it was at. And um, I, you know, I was sitting there, open, open, had my Bible open, and then she said again, would somebody read? And she said, nobody brought their Bibles? This is what she said. And so all of a sudden, I began to read. I started reading. She said, who is that? Church crowded. You couldn't even see me because I was sitting in the back. She said, who is that? And then, you know, people turn around and everything, and they point at me. And then she said, come up here. And I'm like, oh, my God. Because now, remember, my leader is on, on the pulpit that I sat under for 15 years from D.C. because she came down to speak. So then I'm like, oh, my God. 
And so I walked up there, and then she, she asked a minister to stand up, and she asked him to hold the mic. He, she said, and let her read that again for me. He, she said, she said, honey, do you know you're anointed? And then so I stood up there, and then she said, now I don't walk all the way up to the, she said, somebody get my pocketbook. She said, I'm going to give you some money. And I'm like, my God, what is happening here? And so she put the money in the Bible, and then she said, go on back to your seat. So when she said that, I got a little, you know, because she said, go on back to your seat. So when I got ready to walk to go back down the aisle, she said, turn around. And then she began to minister and prophesy and tell me what I know God had already said. And I said, my God, what is the chances of that happening? But when you stay humble mm -hmm. and you wait on God, mm -hmm. he said he will bring, your gift will make room and bring you before. And I said, God, why did this happen? Because I thought it would be some significance of my leader for 15 years that I came to see. And what's the chances? But I thank God. And I, I just, I really enjoyed that. That's it. I really enjoyed the, um, the thing because like you were saying, he brought out so many good ideas even about letting, it's easier said than done to let, to be mistreated and not say anything. Yeah. It oh, yeah. It takes God to help you. Thank you, sir. Amen. It takes God to help you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Thanks for sharing. It's true. That's what the word says. That the Lord uh, resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, amen. Well, Five minutes over, we'll close in prayer and uh, ask the Lord to help us with this one. <laughs> Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for, uh, for giving us a sobering word tonight, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. We want to say that um, for, for teaching us what we need to know to keep us in a place of blessedness, Lord, to, to overcome those tests that come uh, our way of um, just... Uh, honoring authority and um, choosing to, to be silent, to, to humble ourselves, Lord. And we also uh, just ask forgiveness, Lord. I ask forgiveness for my uh, shortcomings in these areas, Lord, of, uh, uh, you know, speaking bad or thinking bad of, of leadership or authority or laws or that which is your will that uh, my will is going against, Lord. And we just thank you for uh, working in us that which we could not work in our own strength. It's your grace. It's where we grow in your grace. There's grace for us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that we grow to be more like you every day and that, uh, and that we stand uh, the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ even now. And uh, We thank you for all that you're going to do for next week and uh, the teaching that comes after with Mary Esther. We thank you for uh, all that you're doing in us through us. Be glorified, we pray, and keep us safe in Jesus' name. Amen.